So board game marathons have become a Christmas break tradition for the Bowman-Murray family, for Noel, Donna, Archer, and Katie Gray. In fact, the days away from school are one continuous game, with scores being carried over from one day to the next day. During Christmas break 2014, I remember that the plan had originally been to play until someone reached 1,000 points. But at some point it became clear that for Donna to have any chance of catching up to the other family members, the finish line would have to be extended to 3,000 points. And it was. Even so, when I asked if the next year's holiday season would see a continuation of their scores or if everyone's score would start back at zero, the answer was that the game would start fresh with everyone on equal ground. Such a resetting may have been Donna's only hope for success the following Christmas break. And maybe such a generous, merciful act is good for the whole family. Ancient Israel understood the importance of starting over too. They called it the year of Jubilee and it happened every 50 years. The concept of Jubilee embodies the need to periodically level the playing field to occasionally start back at zero, or at least to begin from a more equal footing. We find the command for Israel to practice Jubilee in the book of Leviticus. You shall hallow the 50th year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. If an Israelite had sold the family homestead to pay for an otherwise insurmountable debt, Jubilee saw a return of the land to its former inhabitant. If an Israelite had become an indentured servant, Jubilee became their means of freedom. Jubilee was to be a sign of grace. It was to be an experience of mercy, generosity, and justice. In Christian scriptures, we call it the kingdom of heaven. It's this concept of jubilee or the kingdom of heaven that Jesus uses to begin his ministry in the gospel of Luke. You may remember that throughout the gospel of Luke, the spirit gives people courage to speak prophetic words. Zechariah, Mary, Simeon, John the Baptist. And now it's Jesus who we're told is filled with the spirit. Jesus enters his hometown synagogue, and the passage he chooses to read from the Hebrew Scriptures is this passage from Isaiah 61, a passage that speaks of Jubilee. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as he sits back down and everyone in the synagogue looks at him, he adds, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is happening today, Jesus tells the crowd. See, Jubilee isn't supposed to have just been some ancient practice that Israel may or may not have ever fully implemented. Instead, Jubilee is a way of life, the way of life that Jesus showed us a way of life marked by mercy, justice, generosity, and love. It's a way of life in which the sick are healed, those who do wrong are forgiven seven times, seventy times, 
and the poor are the ones who are invited to the banquet. It's a way of life that is just as possible today as it was 2,000 years ago, as it was 3,000 years ago. In fact, we are currently living in a year that Pope Francis, as other popes have done in their own times, has declared to be a year of jubilee. In a bull issued last year, Pope Francis proclaimed December 8, 2015, through November 20, 2016, to be a year dedicated to living out in our daily lives the mercy God constantly extends to all of us. It's a year in which we are not only to acknowledge God's mercy in our own lives, but also to extend that mercy to others. We are to be not only recipients of God's mercy, but um, witnesses to it as well. Jubilee is about making God's mercy concrete in the world. But here's the sometimes tricky part about Jubilee. We don't live in the economic and social world of ancient Israel. And so to practice Jubilee, we have to figure out what it might look like in our own life, in our own context, in the place where we work, and in the home in which we live. My husband Dave is a college professor, and sometimes he teaches courses in Hebrew scripture. Occasionally he asks students to develop their own plans for practicing Jubilee both in their present lives as college students and in their future careers, both in their professional lives and in their personal lives. Jubilee as a banker, a physician, a teacher, a parent, a friend, and so on. And sometimes that can be a hard exercise, this assignment to imagine what Jubilee might look like in our day-to-day lives. Pope Francis offers some universal suggestions. Don't judge others, but forgive them. Avoid gossip and envy. Accept God's mercy in our own lives through prayer and the right of reconciliation. Believe that conversion and change is possible even in the most hopeless of places. Open yourself up to those who in your own context live on the margins. Dialogue with other faiths. Seek justice. And I think here that he is not talking about the kind of justice where everyone gets what we think they deserve, but the kind of justice where each person gets what they need. Now these are some helpful solutions, suggestions. But still, when it comes to specifics, sometimes Jubilee is hard to practice because it's difficult for us to translate it into our own time and place. I think the other reason that Jubilee can be hard to practice is that deep down, we have a hard time believing that this way of life really works. We've come to see our consumer-driven society as the norm, as just the way things are. We've come to believe that there is not enough in the world to live with our hands wide open. We've lost faith in the economy of gift and no longer trust that at heart people are generous and merciful and loving. We believe in a zero-sum equation. If you have more, then I must have less. If Jubilee wasn't practiced in ancient Israel, maybe it's because Israel carried the same fears. Perhaps she too lost trust in mercy and generosity as a way of life. 
I wonder, though, if we seemingly lack mercy and generosity in the world, I wonder if it's simply because we've stopped expecting it, we've stopped looking for it, and we've stopped finding ways in which it can be practiced. There's a wonderful TED Talk by Nipun Mehta called Designing for Generosity. In it, he explores the question, what if the world were designed for generosity instead of greed? The reason we don't experience more mercy and generosity, he says, is simply that our world is not designed for radical generosity. But what if we created more opportunities for it? Meta tells the story of a cartoon museum that instead of charging people the usual $1 admission fee, simply asked people to put whatever they wanted to pay in a box. People gave an average of $1.23. Not too bad. Then they told people to still pay whatever it was that they wanted to pay, but instead of putting it in this box, hand it to the cashier. So this way the transition becomes, uh, the transaction becomes a little more personal. And people gave on average $2. Then people were told that, well, actually, someone else has already paid for you, but you have the chance to pay for somebody else who will come later. This tapped in to their sense of interconnectedness. And they gave more than $3 per ticket. Generosity is alive and well deep down in human nature. And the more we see ourselves as connected to others, as part of a greater whole or a single body, to use the words of Paul, then the more generous, the more merciful, and the more trusting we become. Jubilee is a possibility in our world. To get there, we simply have to see ourselves as the recipients of mercy, as receiving mercy from God and from other people. We have to truly understand that we're connected one to another and that any system that doesn't take this into account is bound to lead us further away from God's dream for the world. We have to imagine ways to practice mercy, justice, and generosity in our own lives. And then we have to let this practice of giving seep into our souls until we believe that there really is enough for everyone, until it changes the way we see everything. So in the coming week, I invite you to reflect on three questions. How have you received mercy and grace in your own life? Who in your world are the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, and those in need of good news? What are some concrete practices of mercy, justice, and generosity that you can take part in? It can be as simple as starting over with a board game marathon or having a free neighborhood car wash, as Meta's nephew did. It can be as complicated as starting a nonprofit or giving someone a place to live. But just go and live Jubilee in a way unique to your own life and your own context, trusting that the same spirit that rested on Jesus rests on you as well, filling you with the courage to change the world, one act of mercy at a time. <laughs>